Hi, Pajam. Give us one minute and we're going to start. I got Tim Hatch here. I'm going to mute him really quick while I do his bio. Okay. So let's start. It's the Life of Jam live video podcast. This is season two, episode four. We are live with Tim Hatch. This is Writing with Heart. And you'll see why. So I'm going to introduce Tim and then we're going to bring him in. Tim Hatch is a writer and educator and lives in Southern California's Inland Empire, the IE. He earned his MFA at Cal State San Bernardino, and his poetry has appeared widely, including in Inlandia, A Literary Journey, East Jasmine Review, The Vehicle, and Chola Needles. His first collection of poetry, Wild Embrace, oh, buy this book on Bamboo Dark Press. His first collection of poetry was nominated for a Pushcart Prize, as well as the Levis Reading Prize. His ebook series, we're going to talk about both of these books, uh, My Bariatric Year, Part 1 and 2, were published, and pub, uh, Part 3 is coming out soon. Um, those are all available on Telekinesis. And he's an adjunct professor. He teaches composition at more colleges than you can shake a stick at. And when he's not doing that, he spends his time with his emotionally fragile Queensland healer and arthritic beagle and his wife, Annette, who puts up with his nonsense way more than he deserves. Hi, Tim. Welcome. Wonderful to have you. Thank you. Hi. It's Uh, so good to be here. Such an honor. Um, you've I am also honored. I'm honored. You've also facilitated a number of Inlandia workshops. Um, mm-hmm. so you're an all-around teacher, educator, writer. And so, like I said, this book, Wild Embrace, this is what I want to talk about first. And you can buy it at Bamboo Dark Press. And after that, we're going to talk about your My Bariatric Year series, which is mm-hmm. your journaling and your uh, published work about having weight loss surgery, which I've also had. But what struck me the most about this book, which I love, Wild Embrace, is how open and honest you are. I've been accused of being an overshare and being too open. How do you tap into that? And as a man, especially, how do you, um, how did you get there? How did I get to the openness and the honesty? Yeah. Um, well, I think <laughs> I've all okay. So the bad joke around our house is you can't spell Tim without TMI. <laughs> which, uh, I, I frequently share way too much. Uh, I back in my younger days, I I just felt like I I got I'm an open book, and if there's anything I really don't want out there, then I guess I'll keep my mouth quiet. But at that point in time, certainly there wasn't. Also, I felt like in my family, my family is like the, I don't know, we're like, we're like royalty of like the worst kept secrets. Like everyone knows everyone's secrets. There's a secret I know right now that I'm going to find out officially in probably two days. (laughs) That's just my family. And I was like, this is just dumb. It doesn't work. So I I started just being an open book as much as possible anyway. We all have things we don't want to talk about, but. Yeah, there was that. And then the other thing, which is way more specific to the writing of the poetry, especially uh, was 
when I started writing poetry, I had no intention of doing the uh, the the talking about my father and my trauma and all that. I used to call I used as a when I was younger and kind of a dick. I I used to call that the oh my god mommy poetry, you know, that would like it just seemed but it seems like it's a necessary first step for a lot of us to write about either our own trauma or the family hangups or whatever. And yeah, I what, think of uh Sylvia Plath and kind of the her her daddy poems about oh, yeah. the boot on the neck kind of thing. And that's what your poems in the best way reminded me of. Oh, but it's you. that honesty, right? I just taught a Sylvia Plath poem this morning. Um, oh, you did? Oh. I did, Lady Lazarus. Um, I love that poem. She's amazing. But uh, but so I was like writing about all this and, and I have a very complicated relationship with my father. I love him. He's my mm-hmm. father. But there are a lot of times throughout the last 52 years where I haven't liked him and it's vice versa. It's a two-way road. Um, but I figured if I'm going to be talking, well, there's a couple different things, but if I'm going to be talking about my relationship with my father, the very least I can do is be as brutally honest as possible about myself too. I figure yeah. I don't want this to be perceived as an attack on him or as a mommy dearest of any sort. It's mm-hmm. not that I'm, um, actually, and it doesn't come off like that at all. If anything, um, and we can talk about this in a little bit, I think you show your dad's humanity uh, but there is the poem called The Bear um, mm-hmm. that it feels like you're in a very young perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a scary poem, you know, and I have poems like that um, about my own mom. And uh, I've tried to show her humanity, too. And it's hard, right? It's complicated. It's complicated. It's, it's not very easy. hard. It's very hard. Um, do you want to read a couple poems just so people get a taste sure. at least at first, and then we can kind of talk about them because I think your poetry, the thing I love about it is how personal it is. And, you know, I, I like to talk about craft and you're a beautiful craftsman. Don't get me wrong. But okay. what, what, what's the most, what hits you in the soul, especially if you come from a violent household, um, is how open and how truthful it is and how you you capture that. And you're not making anyone a villain, right? You're just telling the truth, so. Right. Uh, well, I can I can read the bear. Um, That'd be great. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the spotlight on you while you do that real quick. So okay. here you go, Tim Hatch, reading right. from his book, Wild Embrace. Thank you. Uh, so this is the bear. He scowls, and I know I've made a mistake. When he moves, I move, just out of reach. The air is too thin. My mother's screams do nothing. I keep a picnic table between us. We orbit two satellites, broken from their circles. He stops, and I do too, both struggling to breathe. He leans Against the table, a coat of forest green already peeling, names carved into it. I can smell the coors and camels. He laughs, and I do too. I will survive this. He leaps across the table, clawing for me. His enormous body blackens the sun. And uh, thank you. Did you want me to read? Uh, yeah. A couple others. Yeah. I just wanted to say, though, that poem, that part where you say as a child, 
I will survive this. It gives, I mean, it allows the reader to be okay too. Do you know what I mean? I, well, I, I, yeah. And I think that was, I think that's kind of what I was doing for myself. Like that is, that poem is my earliest, literally my earliest memory. Um, well, that's not true. There's a memory slightly earlier of me stepping on my little brother's hand, um, which is also in this book. But um, mm -hmm. I love that poem too. How old you. were you in the bear? I, I'm you know, four, four, maybe five. And uh, all I remember is we were up at Lake Sabrina. It was one of our Lake Sabrina trips. And I did something, it, it, something to incur his wrath. And he was just, he was, he was pissed. And I had, obviously been spanked enough times at that young age that I knew to run. Um, and then, you know, I, I learned probably very quickly after that, you don't run, you just take it because it'll be worse. Um, well, and you're taking this image of like this um, beautiful vacation, like Yogi Bear kind of thing where you're at the picnic table and you're mm -hmm. turning it on its head and it's becoming so menacing and you're turning your father into a bear. Right. But mm -hmm. like, a grizzly bear that's going to attack you. And it, it's just, it's powerful. It's beyond measure, really. I, I don't, that's why memoir, because it's really a memoir piece is so mm -hmm. powerful, right? I mean, could someone really imagine that? Maybe, but would it have the same gravitas? Would it have the same weight? I don't know. Yeah. I, well, yeah. And I think, uh, like I teach Kanahasi Kosas between the world and me at one of my, in one of my classes, well, several of my classes, but uh, we can talk about systemic racism, whatever, all day long, and everyone can have their opinions. But when we're reading a guy's firsthand account of the systemic racism he grew up in and still encounters as an adult today, like he's relating his lived experience and you can't argue with his lived experience. Yeah. Um, even though sometimes I have people who try. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, okay, well, I'm going to let you read some more. So if you want to tell people what poems you're reading, I am going to put the spotlight on you. Okay, I will. Uh, so I know we're going to come back to talking about this. So I'll read a concerto because um, this is related weirdly to uh, <clears throat> uh, the whole thing about trying to do justice uh, to the situation. Um, so uh, concerto one. My father's mouth, a broken record, stuck on the same sadistic song, teeth jaundiced from decades of coffee and cigarettes, towers over me, a cankerous storm cloud. Saliva stretches, then shrinks at the sides. Sickly stage curtains swish open and shut for a performance that never really begins or ends. Deep, sharp pain in my chest pulls my eyes up to his lunatic glare. Right hand raised, index finger extended. Two, like a conductor's baton, he brings it down. Stupid. His finger stabs my chest so hard I wonder if he's drawn blood. Fucking. Another stab digs in me up to the first knuckle. Loser. I've never hurt like this. He keeps laying into me, each downbeat, the perfect demeaning accent to a dehumanizing verbal spike. My throat feels tight like I'm swallowing cotton as he drums an endless staccato of hate speech. Worthless, goddamn moron. 
His finger comes in wrong and breaks, immediately purpling to twice its size. Cradling one hand with the other, he comes in close, searches my face, dares me, begs me to appreciate the irony before he leaves in search of an ice pack. Three. In the bathroom, I stand shirtless under the humiliating glare of the fluorescent, and I count 37 fingertip reminders that I'm stupid and worthless. I take the blade out of my father's safety razor and lightly drag it across my chest, slicing staff lines from my father's notes. I look back, I stand back and look at myself. Bloody sheet music for a bastard's concerto. And uh, should I read like one more, one or two more? I'll read one or two more. Actually, I'll read this very next one. Um, anytime I read that last one at a reading, I try to follow it with something a little more lighthearted. And this is definitely a little more lighthearted. This is called Loathing Las Vegas. On the casino floor, the damned sit collapsed on gaudy vinyl stools, their skin a sickly fish belly white. Their faces shine the color of midnight seawater in the game light, almost translucent at the temples, stained glass windows revealing their tweaker lust for the ritual of the swiped card and the mindless mashing of the button, staring at their god, blinded by his radiance, stealing glimpses of oblivion as it plows through their retirement and their children's inheritance. Their mutated lizard brains look back into the mist, vaguely calling forward a half-memory of a TV commercial for reverse mortgages, and swipe their cards one last sacrifice, one last shot. The casino coffee shop is nearly empty at the dinner hour, three booths down, sitting across the table from an old man who's visibly angry with the kino display, sits a gorgon. A black leather poor boy hat sits on top of her peroxide kinky curls, her Red clay lips pulled tightly across her mouth, her skull intent on bursting through her face, skin the blue-white of non-fat milk. Her right hand teases the rim of enormous dark shades, her tourmaline eyes faintly glowing behind them. The Kino girl glides past, a shark, never resting, always hunting, her empty button eyes indifferently scanning the room. Out by the pool, the chlorine fumes hate-fuck their way into the nostrils of the defeated parents who wonder what the hell they were thinking, desperately wishing they had a tab of acid or a bag of shrooms or anything that might help them appreciate this Boschian hellscape. It's after dark now. The sexy people are long gone, off to have sexy evenings and sexy clubs with names like misdemeanor and cyst. An enormous toddler sits at the end of a chaise lounge, sucking ketchup out of ketchup packets, his parents oblivious as they argue over where to take the screaming children for dinner. Nowhere is far enough away from here. So, Thank you me. know, I'm a Vegas hound. Um, so <laughs> I've this, seen that. <laughs> this is one of my favorite poems. You capture, and, and I love the title, Loathing Las Vegas. Oh, thanks. Yes. A riff on leaving Las Vegas. Absolutely. Well, it's a it's it's like that and lo fear and loathing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. last line of the poem is directly lifted from the Cheryl Crow song. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I I just love that line about the damned sit collapsed on gaudy vinyl stools. <laughs> Their skin is sickly fish. Um. Yeah, I've been there many times. 
many, many times. And you my know, dad was too. He was a casino person. Oh, my dad was too, or is, well, was. he? Yeah, he's not going anywhere these days. But um, yeah, I grew up going to casinos for like all of our summer vacations. We had casino time on the way back <laughs> from the river or whatever. And it was kind of great as a kid. And somewhere in my, well, two things. One, I'm like a degenerate gambler. So I can't. Mm. I can't enjoy the casino properly. And I'm an yeah. ex-smoker. Oh, so yeah. you go to a casino and it's just this assault and you can't have any of the fun and your, your breathing immediately gets kind of shitty. And uh, so, yeah, I was actually in Las Vegas for a wedding and I was sitting at the coffee shop and uh, I uh, asked the waitress for a napkin. <laughs> I had the pen on me and I wrote that on napkins and, uh, and then I, uh, I, I think I just threw it in my luggage and when I got home, I typed it up and uh You wrote that, it in Vegas? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I what you heard is probably as of all the poems I've ever written, that thing spilled out of me almost perfectly formed. It's been through a few revisions, but very, very little change to it. Mostly the changes in form. I, I love it. You know, I, something, I have the best stories from Vegas. Like I always meet people and I'm always like covered in cigarette ash at the slot machine with like all <laughs> these beers. And la this is like a couple before COVID I met this woman and she just won like a $20,000 jackpot. <laughs> so she's like, come on girl, drinks are on me. You know, they're free anyways, but whatever we're drinking. it. And uh, my husband walks over and he's like, okay. Because he's always keeping me in check. Time to stop. Time to stop. No more cigarettes. No more of that drinky poo. You're done. You're going to go to bed. And she's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm her husband. She's like, oh, you're the husband of Big Titty McGee? And he's like, who the fuck is Big Titty McGee? <laughs> and she's like, she is. And so, yeah. I mean, something always <laughs> happens. It's a, wow. yeah. it's a madhouse. I all meet. Yeah. I'll meet the craziest people that I'll just sit next to you. And I just love to meet new people and talk to them, you know, and you always meet someone in Vegas. That's true. That's true. I've had some interesting conversations in Vegas. Um, um, going back to your, uh, the poem before that, which is a lot darker, the concerto, yeah. the concerto one, um, yeah. that last line where you take the razor, but mm -hmm. what really struck me is the line where you say, 37 fingertip reminders that I'm stupid and worthless, right? Like yeah. it, it's that kind of, it's that voice inside of our head telling us that because of so, the violence that we might've grown up with. Right. And that we never feel like we're enough. I mean, right. you have that other poem about Christmas. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Cause you know, my Christmases are still a shit show. Mm -hmm. And it's because I grew up with very chaotic holidays. Mm -hmm. And I think you say in the poem, which is called Christmas Morning, mm -hmm. we keep on going back to the repeat the ritual of not rising to my father's Yuletide bullshit, right? How do you stop that? That's the question. Like in our own lives, how do we stop recreating the chaos? Yeah, I mean... That a that's a hell of a question, and the answer is probably different for each of us. But mm -hmm. I have failed to not rise to my father's bullshit so many times, and you know where he's at right now. And I don't know if he's going to see this or not, but uh, mm -hmm. he would. 
if nothing else, he'll respect my honesty. Um, yeah. He is in poor health. I'm sorry. And he is uh the other the last one uh, one of the last times i've hung out and talked to him he told me he did he thought this was his last year and privately i think he's right and um and so what i'm saying is my father in his current situation is a dying old man whose politics are as oppositional to mine as they possibly could be and whose news sources are no longer I can't have a conversation with him. Like when you're watching Fox News, I can have yeah. a conversation with you. When you're watching One America and Newsmax and fucking you QAnon horse shit on YouTube. Oh yeah, I have friends that watch that shit. So well, yeah, and, yeah, and we can't talk. Like mm -hmm. we first have to go both go out front and agree that the sky's blue. And if we can't do that, then there is no conversation to be had. And he's just mm. listening to this ridiculous shit now and so he tried having a political conversation with me the other day and i was i basically said i'm not talking about this with you your sources aren't real and we can't talk about it you and he actually was cool and he was like i i'll i'll, I'll honor your request <laughs> which i thought that's probably the best conversation we've had but in the last year i've yelled at him a dying old man i've yelled at you know mm, so i yeah. fail to not rise to his bullshit a lot of the time. But in, in answer, a more direct answer to your question, like I, to not recreate the chaos of a holiday family gathering, I have kind of arrived at a point where I am willing to withdraw. Mm. Like I am yeah. willing to, if it's clearly turning into a shit show, I love all of them. And I can see them 364 other days. <laughs> yeah. And even tomorrow. But, like, I don't need to be in the room for the shit show. <laughs> no. And uh, there's a poem called Helping John Piss. Is your dad's mm -hmm. name John? No. John is uh, John Harrelson, who was a local musician, oh. uh, local legend. He died. You know, this, I can't believe. He died. We're coming up very soon on the ninth anniversary of his death wow and uh, he is the subject of helping john piss uh across the room and oh. uh six string rising those are all john poems oh interesting and i was with him a lot in the last couple of years of his life and uh you know i was there was a point where he couldn't drive anymore so i'd drive him around and then when he went into the hospital, I was in there two, three times a week. And then the uh, place he was sent after the hospital, uh, where is, which is where he died, um, uh, he uh, he was a mess. But uh, that helping John Piss thing was like, uh, mostly uh, that's that's not 100% true, but it's, uh, it's close to it. And yeah. I, I mean, I helped him stand up uh, to piss into a cup. And uh, it was an awkward, weird situation. And this is a guy I was never physically. I, I, we met, might have shook hands once, and then maybe twice, you know. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm holding this guy like he's my child, yeah. So, so that he can stand upright and piss with dignity into a cup. And uh, and I'm seeing way more of his naked body than I want to, and. Yeah. It was this really awkward moment that shook me, you know, and then when I sat down to write about it, uh, 
I realized, you know, there's actually something. It was, I'm not, in the moment, it wasn't a good experience, but looking back on it, I think it's one of the, even though it's happened in my 40s, I think it's one of the formative experiences of my life. I think that moment plays a real significant role in who I am today. And uh, I'm so grateful for it. It it was a magical moment and kind of not attractive, but a magical, important moment. No, and I know exactly what you mean because my dad's name was John and I um, was there for the last couple of weeks of my dad's life and I was there the day he died and I was mm. the one that had to let him go with the paramedics while they worked on him. Mm. And that seeing my dad uh, pass away from pancreatic cancer and it was a, a very short three week period from diagnosis to death, um, it forever changed me and it mutated me. And I, be, mm-hmm. I I would not be a public defender. I would not have written my book without that experience. And I think that you're right. It's so hard seeing someone like that. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it changes you. Mm-hmm. Irrevocably, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's... So the overriding theme of pretty much everything I write is our fragility. Mm human fragility and uh maybe not everything but damn near and i there is a vulnerability to all of us that we never show yeah that god willing we'll never have to show except we will um shit i was in the hospital for my bariatric surgery and uh the hospital gowns are basically designed to uh ruin any self-image of yourself and like uh, my wife was like, you sure you don't want to cover it? And I was like, I genuinely don't fucking care. <laughs> and, you know, you're so tired and yeah. there's enough pain going on. And you're like, it, I fucking invite the whole ward in. They can look at the junk as much as they want. I don't give a shit. I just want to nap. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not a place I'm at right now. And it's not yeah. a place I am at most of my life. But you get to that point and uh, we're all that fragile, vulnerable shell. Yeah. at some point and, and, and letting and, go like who really gives a shit like man i had weight loss surgery which was hard the surgery i just had which is a hemorrhoidectomy was mm-hmm. the hardest experience i've ever gone through in my entire life mm-hmm. and sorry. i was like i really do not care what mm-hmm. anyone in my house thinks and mm-hmm. i'm in so much pain that i'm gonna stroke out so whatever happens who cares? I have nothing to lose. Anyone can know what's going on with me. Right? I mean, you, yeah. you're you like, what does it matter if you're on your deathbed? If someone sees a flap of skin or someone sees this or someone looks at you without makeup. I mean, what does it matter? Right? It doesn't. Doesn't fucking matter. None it of it matters. Matter. Which means none of it matters in every day leading up to that either. Like. Yeah. My mom's always apologizing for not having makeup on if I go over too early in the day or whatever. I'm like, who could possibly care? <laughs> How old are your mom and dad? My dad is, uh, my dad's going to be 80 if he sees August. Uh, and uh, my mom is a year younger. So, okay. And actually, my mom's birthday is uh, Friday, I think. Hi. So she'll be turning, I think she's 78 going on 79. And, and how was uh, she health wise? Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she was kind of dealt a shitty set of lungs. Uh, that was just something that, I mean, she's kind of had pneumonia a billion times. And uh, she's like kind of permanently on 
like two weeks on and two weeks off of antibiotics to keep mm-hmm. her lungs from getting pneumonia. And, uh, but you know, uh, and this is like, maybe I'm violating all kinds of HIPAA violations for her. I don't know, but, but I mean, she's in really good health with that one thing, that one, like, uh, that I'm always concerned every time she flies anywhere, I'm always yeah. worried she's going to get pneumonia. Yeah. Um, but she's otherwise in great, uh, health and she's like, she's like, uh, uh, crazy sharp. Like, yeah. cognitively yeah her mom Mm -hmm. was always was super aware is all the way to the end too and uh uh yeah that just i guess runs in the family yeah i have my mom and she's still healthy except for her knees and i'm so happy you know my mom and i had the same kind of relationship you kind of had with your father and we're best friends now and i really understand my mom now and Mm -hmm. it helped me heal Mm -hmm. to kind of forgive her and then to realize i had always uh, thought my dad was this lovable drunk and he was a horrible husband and a good father, but a horrible husband. And I, I yep. so now I try not to idealize my father and I try to give my mom more credit. And I think that's helped me as a writer, right? Yeah. Strong. But I mean, it's hard. These stories are hard. And um, I guess my last question for you on wild embrace is have you forgiven your father or can you answer that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's weird. Like it's, it's such a, you know, forgiveness isn't a toggle. Mm -mm. Uh, I I don't know if there is any such thing as a toggle in life, but forgiveness is a spectrum. And I have been all over that spectrum in the last 10 years. And there have been times he's tried to apologize for things in the past. And I wasn't uh, about to let it happen because I like, he, he tried one Christmas and I, uh, I, I said, for what though? What are you apologizing for? What are you sorry for? And he's like, well, you know, just, you know, everything. I'm like, that doesn't work. Speci- if you can't state specifically what you're fucking sorry for, then it doesn't count. And that wasn't very gracious of me. He was really trying to make amends and mm-hmm. I wasn't in the place to accept it. And uh, in the off chance he does watch this dad, I accept the apology. 15 Aww. years later but Aww. uh but uh in the last 10 years i've been all over the place with him and i have uh, uh forgiven him i love him he's my dad he's also yeah. responsible for some real trauma from my yeah. uh, younger years and um i don't know there's a big difference between forgiving him What are the three things, I think? So there's forgiveness. There's unfucking your head, or therapy, Mm -hmm. we'll call it. Yeah. And then there's making peace with it. And, like, Mm -hmm. I was in, I have been in therapy now for nearly 20 years. My therapy's almost old enough to have a drink. (laughs) And my head's pretty thoroughly unfucked at this point, I have to say. Um and I, I have forgiven him, but it wasn't until literally I started writing a lot of the stuff in this book that I was able to make peace with what happened. And um, yeah. and that involved a variety of things, writing these poems, seeing things from my dad's perspective or doing my best to, um, you know, uh, uh, I had a dream that allowed me to see him as a teenager coming from his shitty circumstance 
so uh, it was just uh, allowing myself to see things from his perspective really helped. Because I have nieces and nephews who are uh, children who have their own kids. And I'm like, at 52, I'm like, fuck, you, seriously, Hold you're going to be a parent? Sure thing. Right. I, I'm not ready to have kids at 52. And my dad had them when he was their age. And so, and he was struggling with uh, addiction. And I can't imagine being a parent. And I know if I was, I'd, I'd have to be in therapy every day of my life. And I know I'd still fuck it up. Well, I felt that you made peace with this. I mean, there's that. Um, and I'm sorry, I was having uh, my computer was about to die. So I had to charge oh. it. I didn't no plug it in. Um, there's a line in the poem, Dad Survives His Third Open Heart Surgery. And I swear, I was bawling like a baby on that those last mm. few lines where you say, it'll be all right, Dad. Try and sleep a while. I felt the love. Thank you. I yeah. did. I felt the forgiveness. I felt the peace. I felt... I And you're almost, like I said before, you're allowing the reader to forgive your father. It's not just that you're forgiving your father. You're mm -hmm. allowing us as the reader to understand your father and to love your father along with you and forgive him, but also understand him and understand you. I mean, you're not immune. There's the poem that you, Multiverse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that poem so much because it's just so, I mean, it's about, and I love multiplicity, the whole theory of that, of multiple mm -hmm. universes, mm -hmm. and uh, that in this universe, how many love, times have you squandered your wife's love mm -hmm. from your anger, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's like, that. I, I mean, the, the, the inciting incident of that poem is me stepping on a, a plug for her hair, what's it, her curling iron, um, and uh, it drew blood, and I was pissed, and... Uh, and then, you know, I cleaned up the blood and I bandaged my foot and everything was fine. But I was like, and I, I, I did refrain from screaming. And uh, it's like one in the morning. And the only reason that, that I didn't scream is because I knew that the only reason to scream was to wake her up and fuck her night up too. And I don't mm. want to, I, I don't want revenge on her. She's like the best person in the world. And, but I, uh, but when you're in that moment of rage, you're not thinking you're just thinking well my day's spoiled cool so is somebody else's and i mean i have to say i have i was i had a lot of terrible behavior modeled for me uh, a lot of like how to be a man mm -hmm. uh bullshit was modeled for me and as much as i reject all of that i fucking emulated all of it too yeah like blows my mind i've talked about this with different therapists like i emulated all these ter i have all the terrible tools in my toolkit that i was shown as a kid and um uh i was probably in therapy for six seven years when i first realized that and i am doing my best to chuck every last one of those tools in the trash but it seems like there's always one or two within reach yeah. I, I mean, there are, right? We model what we see. I used to, yeah. um, when I was first with my husband, I've been with him 30 years. We would fight wow. and I would get out of the car. And then mm -hmm. I realized my mom used to do that shit when I was little to my dad. And like a light bulb went on. I can't use, I can't just jump out of a moving car anymore. Like that's number one dangerous, but it's my poor husband 
mm-hmm. back then my boyfriend who was like 18 19 was like what is this behavior <laughs> who does this and I'm like my mom used to do it yeah and you're right you yeah. got to throw away those negative tools that we have and and get the good like now I I do what you do I withdraw from a situation or I try to Mm-hmm. So it doesn't escalate. I, mm-hmm. I used to always escalate situations. Mm-hmm. I could yell louder. I could throw more. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I could bang my yeah. head against the wall. I could do yeah. this. You I, think we, you're scary? You think you're loud? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll show you who can be yeah. loud, right? Yeah. I, and I can, you know, make a scene like any Latina. <laughs> I can make <laughs> the biggest scene there is. We have a question from... Um, so someone wants you to uh, read a poem. Uh, Sid, what poem did you want him to read? And then Stephanie Barbie Hammer had this question for you. Stephanie. I feel the love in this collection, Tim. How do you go about writing those poems, the ones that emphasize love? What craft challenges did those ones pose? So here's Man. the question. Um, thank you, Stephanie. Also, I love you, Stephanie. Um Love uh, you, Stephanie. You're the best. Also, Sid, if that's Sid Bartman. Hi, Sid. Um, uh, uh, how did I go about writing the questions, uh, writing the poems that reflect love? I think I initially didn't. Um, I initially was just going for, you know, what what was in me, and just trying to get it out on paper. I mean, I think I'm going to go ahead and say this. Probably the first draft of almost every poem in this book was that wasn't even a concern. And I think as I continued to work on a lot of these poems, the bear was one of the, the bear was the second poem, the second series poem I've ever written. Wow. And uh, I mean, I, not the, all the dirty limericks before that don't count. Um, but uh, I wrote a lot of this as an undergrad. I wrote a lot of this as uh, I wrote a lot of shit as an undergrad too. I, I wrote a lot of this in my master's coursework. And um, I don't think at any point when I was getting the poems down on paper that I had the concern of showing the love. Definitely that became a concern in revision. Like, I I think I was saying this kind of at the start. If I'm So my dad, the concerto poem, this is a true story, and I'll make it fast. My dad, someone recorded that. I was very lucky. I, I won, uh, Helping John Piss won a prize. And I got to read in front of Natalie Diaz, who's amazing. And uh, uh, I knew that I was reading in front of her. And so I was like, well, I got to write something that doesn't suck. And so I wrote Concerto. And um, uh, and I, it was a little different, but it was basically what it is. Somebody filmed me reading Concerto and then put it on YouTube and then that got shared on Facebook. And at that time, my dad and I were still Facebook friends. He lost his Facebook privileges like years ago. Um, Cause he'd start shit with me on Facebook. It's like, I can do that on Thanksgiving. I don't need that. on Facebook. <laughs> anyway. And he started beating around the bush for like six months. Maybe someday he'll write a poem about me. And I was like, yeah, it could. And finally, after months and several instances of him trying to hint at that he's like i know you wrote one about me i was like i know you know you're not clever (laughs) and uh he said well now all these people know all this shit about me why are you writing about me and i was like i'm not man i'm writing about me all right and you know if it 
upsets you, how you come across to the reader when I write about me, it would have behooved you to be less of an asshole when I was a kid, because I'm writing about my lived experiences. And there wasn't a whole lot of response to that, it, you know, whatever he responded with. But, and I'm not saying that to make him look bad or whatever, but yeah, I, that put in my head, that conversation, the concept that I, if I'm going to write about me and bring other people into my, that are in my life, who I, I'm a, I can't not write about my dad if I'm writing about me. I have to be as fair as possible. And I want to show my own fucked up problems. I don't want myself to look like a victim or a hero. I'm just another dude. You know, I think the dedication in this book, I will read it real quick because my mind is so shot that I can't remember it. But uh, for dad, you're just Mm -hmm. stumbling through like the rest of us. And I hold you to an impossibly high standard as a child might. Wow. um, He's just a dude. I'm just a dude. He's fucked up. I certainly fuck up on a regular basis. I just am trying to be fair. Uh, I do have love for him. If I'm going to be brutally honest about the shit that I went through, that I lived through with him, I got to be brutally honest about myself. And that's kind of my goal. Uh, And that was kind of as short an answer as I could make that. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, do you mind reading uh, page 56, that poem about your dad's heart surgery? And then we'll, we'll we'll have about 15 minutes after you read that to discuss the Bariatric Journey series. Um, just because I think your friend Sid asked for it. So I'd like you to read it. And I'll put the spotlight on you. Thank you. Okay. So let me see. Where does this go? This goes three pages. So... Um, Dad survives his third open-heart surgery. Don't worry, Dad. You'll be talking again soon. I've watched you breathe through tubes so many times, but I can't stop looking at you like someone I don't quite recognize. When did you get so goddamn old? Your hair stands wild, sparse, like a balding troll doll in his 70s. I want to laugh, but there are so many tubes growing out of you. I try counting them, but I get to your face, wonder who you are, and lose count. The two largest spill out of your bed, ending in clear containers, slow-drip collections of blood and piss. If you died under the knife, things would be so easy. You'd be the father who could never live down his mistakes. I'd be the son who didn't learn how to forgive in time and everyone would understand the burden of my guilt. I could be steadfast in the face of grief. Live my life. It would be an easy, easy lie. I used to punch the brick wall in the alley until I couldn't hold a pencil. What kind of son hates his father like that? What kind of man sits next to his father's hospital bed, sees a lifetime of Christmas guilt and Father's Day backhands instead of a sick old man on life support? Dad, why can't I hold your hand and tell you not to worry that this won't last? Greg walks in, presses his cheek to yours, holds his phone like a mirror, says, don't worry, Dad, you won't remember this, then leaves, nodding. I envy his approach to shitty memories. Somewhere inside me, there's a slow leak. 
I know there were never enough years to begin with, and I remember when I threw away a prayer for you to suffer like this every day. I've wasted so much prayer. The shame smothers me like a desperate hug. No one deserves this. Your new scar, dried blood and surgical thread laced through welts of old scars, looks like a black worm eating its way up your chest. I drag my fingertips across my own stratified scars, each one a permanent reminder that you and I will always be you and I, and I hope it'll be all right, Dad. Try and sleep a while. Beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Oh, you're going to ruin Thank my you. eyeliner. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> That's I get my goal. So choked up. Thank you so much. And I mean, I could seriously talk about this book for another hour. Um, It's so beautifully done. So beautifully done. And anyone that knows you loves you. And I think you have the spirit about you. And we're going to talk about your other talent because you're this total like multi-genre kind of guy. Your book, which is an ebook series called My Bariatric Journey. Uh, my My Bariatric Year. My Bariatric Year. So there's part one. Mm-hmm. Part two, and when is part three coming out? Uh, soonish. Um, I uh, uh, the idea was I was going to journal as often as possible for a year. The, the title, by the way, is a riff on uh, a graphic novel called "Our Cancer Year" by Harvey mm. Pekar when he was going through cancer uh, when he was a cancer survivor. He and his wife Joyce wrote that, and uh, I was I just totally riffed on this. Um, but, uh, so I, the idea was I would, I would journal about my experiences and then throw in other things in addition to the journal for the book. Mm. And, uh, it was going along swimmingly and then everything stopped for COVID. Yeah. And, um, like I kept journaling, but. Uh, I, first of all, I was taking, I took on too much work, which is a problem I have that I, my wife has just, I think successfully, uh, talked me away from that behavior. Um, but, uh, I took on too much work, COVID happened and I didn't know how badly the lockdown was affecting me until, I don't know, maybe two or three months in. I actually remember watching like one of those YouTube videos John Krasinski was doing some some good news if you remember those and mm-hmm. I saw one of those and uh, I am a pretty cynical well I don't know if I'm cynical I'm a pretty jaded guy though and I don't often react emotionally to things I watched this fucking video and started crying like a child like I had I had no idea how just oppressed the lockdown had been on me and. Uh, Eventually, the, the, the end of that story is uh, I've been on medication for eight months now. Uh, and I now I'm convinced that I've been living with sort of a low grade, you know, functional anxiety and depression my whole life. But uh, yeah, so two volumes got released. And then as I was working on the third, everything kind of went to hell and uh, everything stopped. Wow. So my my idea at this point, um, and I just actually was talking with uh, Mark Givens. Uh, from Pelicanesis, who is the publisher. Um, and Bamboo yeah, Dart. Which and Bamboo, yeah. Everywhere. Mark and Dennis Kalachi from Bamboo Dart, both of whom are uh, 
National Treasures. I'm just going to say that. Mm -hmm. They're amazing, amazing, lovely people. Um, But uh, I was talking to Mark and I was thinking, so here's my plan for the rest of the book. I now have all the remaining journals from that first year collected into a Word doc. And I am slowly going through. And what I'm now doing is going through every journal or two and then inserting present day commentary on what I was going through at the time. Um, so it's it's definitely switched gears, but I feel like it would be stupid to try to recreate the entire timeline from memory and what I'd already written mm-hmm. and pretend that I had written that all at the time. That, 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 that's First of all, that's just disingenuous. And second of all, um, I have this gift of like two years later, like and a lot of my anxieties, I remember hitting a couple stalls when I was losing weight and I was like, what the fuck? And, you know, settle the fuck down, man. <laughs> it's just no big deal. And I, so I, I feel like it would be dumb to throw this gift of two years worth of perspective away. Mm-hmm. Um, so my idea is to, uh, and I, uh, against my will, I wind up having a little bit more free time this semester than I thought I was going to have due to low enrollment across the nation. Yeah. Um, we're fucking college kids. I need the money. Yeah. And, uh, 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 in any case, I have all this free time this spring, uh, so uh, I'm going to put all of the rest of that together in one Word doc, and then when I feel like it's done, when I've written all the, the, the current day commentary on what I'd already written during that year, I'm going to uh, send it off to Mark, and then I'm going to let him tell me how many volumes it is, whether it's one or two, I'm not sure. The original idea was to release six and it was just two months worth of journals at the time but you know <laughs> but there's there's something brilliant about that you're kind of um getting behind that conceit of memoir right whenever we write memoir we're always kind of behind right and mm-hmm. you're always writing about a time that's already passed for the most mm-hmm. part by so the time you publish it sometimes you started the book 10 years before you know mm-hmm. uh, for me 15 years and um you're not the same writer you're not the same person so it's nice I mean, are you going to do it in footnotes? How are you going to bring in today's perspective into that journaling that you did two years ago or a year ago? I think, well, so far the way I've been doing it is, uh, if you recall from volume one and two, it's just the date. That's mm-hmm. the chapter, title, mm-hmm. right? It's just whatever the date is. So I think hypothetically, if the date is, uh, I don't know, November 17th, uh, 2019 or whatever it is and then november math 24th 2019 then the next one will be uh uh, february 24th 2022 and obviously that will indicate that this has jumped forward in time now if if there's another thing to do in terms of like font type or something like Mm -hmm. that that's a choice that i will leave wholly up to mark mark has all (laughs) kinds of brilliant decisions Mark Mark's ability to lay out a book is masterful, and so there might be another way to to indicate present day to the reader that way as well. But that's something I need to talk about with Mark, and then let him do what he does. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. Do you want to read like a really short passage of um, my bariatric year? And people, you can buy this book on Pelicanesis. Um, It's available only by ebook. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, and it's it's very inexpensive. So buy them all, go out, 
download them. I read part one and two in uh, two days and I read quick anyways, wow. but I mean, and I wanted to reread it and I will reread it again. Cause it's a, it's this beautiful read. You have this ability to trans it's, it's still art. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, I was just, I fell into it like a well, you know what I mean? I like did, I was immersed. I didn't come up for air. For want well, a better uh, way to describe it. Thank you. Um, I did want to keep them short so that even people who don't read fast, like myself, I, I do not read fast at all. It takes me forever. But then I tend to retain. Mm -hmm. uh, if I like it, I retain usually forever, um, at least the broad strokes. Um, is there any part of this that you are thinking I should read? or I think... Uh... You, what I loved most about it was how, again, how open and honest you were about bodily functions. And some people don't like to read about, I love that kind of stuff. Cause okay. to me, um, that's reality. Right. And that's, especially with bariatric surgery, for those of us who have had it, we've done the dumping, we've had the flushing, the, you know, we've done the sugar thing. We've eaten too much. We've gotten something stuck in our throats or in our, it feels like chest almost uh, mm -hmm. in our chest where something stuck because we ate the wrong thing or it didn't dissolve or, you know, you figure out what can dissolve. Unfortunately for me, it's potato chips. I could eat them all day long and never get stuck, you know, never get full. So um, whatever you want to read, it's up to you. All right. Well, you know what? I, why don't I read the, the section about the dumping syndrome? Um, okay. And uh, I just had to, I just pulled it up here and I'm going to, uh, make this larger because my eyes are shit. Um, yeah, I didn't think when I was going to have you read that electronic stuff. It's, it's a little I should have I should have been more prepared. Uh, but okay, so this is I'll just read this is the the journal entry for uh, August 15th, 2019, okay. which at this point is like 2 days shy of a month maybe. July, I had the surgery in July, so uh, of 2019. So, uh, met a friend for lunch today. This is day two of the soft food stage since I had surgery. We met at the restaurant. She ordered her food, and I ordered a uh, turkey patty and a small cup of soup, pureed carrot. I ate probably a quarter cup of the soup and about a third of the patty, two-ish ounces at a guess. I took 20 to 25 minutes to eat. As we conversed, I felt myself getting uncomfortably full, and I began hiccuping. She asked if I was okay. I said I was. Five minutes later, the glands of the back of my mouth began watering. For me, this is almost always a precursor to vomiting. I excused myself to the bathroom, hoping that walking around a little would help with digestion, maybe allow me to belch, hopefully not hurl everywhere. It helped a bit, and I went back to the table. We chatted another half hour, and then I had to leave for an afternoon of adjunct errands, proving to the state of California that I still don't have tuberculosis and I'm still not a serial killer and that I actually do have a master's degree. On my way back to my car, I was feeling utterly crap. My goal was to just make it to my car, turn it on, sit in the air conditioning and curse myself while I digested my lunch. Thank God I didn't have actual appointments. To get to my car, I had to walk through an outdoor corridor that clearly doesn't get a lot of foot traffic. About two thirds of the way down, maybe 30 feet from the sidewalk, there were two wooden benches and my DNA, my bones, my guardian angel, whatever, said, ooh, a bench. Sit, 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 sit this instant. And I sat down and I put my leftover turkey patty on the bench next to me and I took out my phone 
and then I put it to my left as well, and then I lean forward a bit, and I vomited on the ground in front of me. Normally, on the rare occasion that I'm sick enough to vomit, it's a whole production. I vomited so violently, I've torn the back of my throat. Today, I leaned forward, and it just spilled out of me like I was an overfilled jug. It was quiet, almost serene. I'm going to apologize in advance for this next bit. What came out of me was a clear liquid followed by a bit of foam. It looked like the baby it looked like baby oil. After I couldn't stop spitting, my eyes began to water and my nose started running. No tissue and I wasn't about to use my shirt to clean myself, so I just sat on the bench, hunched over, drooling from my various face holes. No one was near enough to notice me, though quite a few people were walking with strollers on the sidewalk nearby. Then I vomited some more, five more heaves, if anyone's why, counting, most of it clear with foam, and then a bit of my lunch finally with the last two efforts. The next three minutes were just me breathing hard and spitting into the growing pool on the ground in front of me, eyes watering like it's the last 20 minutes of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, long strings of snot hanging from my nose like obscene glass noodles, and then I stopped spitting, and then I wiped my eyes and my nose with my hands. I sat for a few minutes, letting my hands dry in the total absence of a summer breeze, and then the weirdest part, out of nowhere, I felt great. I grabbed my phone and not my leftovers, stood up and walked to my car with energy. As I left, I saw someone facing away from me, oblivious to my pre uh, presence in the office immediately next to the bench. I was quiet through the whole thing. When I got to my car, I texted my wife the following. I don't think I'm ready for soft foods. I just vomited all over Pomona College. I went to a gas station, washed my hands, and bought a 42-ounce cup of ice and a Gatorade Zero. I'm totally down for an endorsement discussion, Gatorade because I was dehydrated now. I drank the entire thing while I ran my errands and now I'm home. And I'm just arrogant enough to think I've gained some small insight into what it's like to have a purging disorder. Uh, I don't. Did I eat too much? Was it the soup? Carrots have a lot of sugar. Maybe I couldn't tolerate it. Uh, is ground turkey cool, but just not in a patty? Absolutely no idea. I just have to experiment and adjust as I continue forward. I really hope this is the last time I vomit forever. Wow. And uh, by the way, it wasn't. <laughs> I, had, I had a couple smaller incidents after that. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about that is I have the same thing with certain foods. Ice cream, I cannot do. Like I oh, said, yeah. I can eat potato chips all day. I can eat chocolate. Um, but something about ice cream, about the sugar in it, and then ground turkey, cannot do. I don't hmm. know whether it's the consistency of ground turkey. Or what it is, and uh, chicken breast cannot do. I can eat dark chicken, all dark meat all day long, or dark turkey yeah. all day long. And it's interesting. That's what I love about your book is that it really, for those of us who have had the surgery and who have dealt with and been where I have had that happen multiple times, um, mm -hmm. and I still, if I eat ice cream, I will lay in bed. And my husband's like, "Are you drunk?" I'm like, "No, I just." Having the spins <laughs> from the half cup of ice cream that I thought I could have. And, you know, it's just, it's really a lifestyle change. The problem really is, though, if you don't fix here and here, 
um, you know, you I do did gain some of the weight back, but I part of that is my age. Part of it is my eating habits. I don't eat a lot to this very day, um, but uh, you know, I I don't regret having the surgery. But I mean, you capture it. You capture it. You captured, yeah. and no one talks about this stuff. I can tell no. you, no one tells you. No one tells you what. I had twelve weeks of classes before having this surgery, and Kaiser, by the way, has was awesome. Uh, and I genuinely yeah. think Kaiser changed my life. But Kaiser fucked up on two accounts, and one was they really needed to bring someone like us in to talk mm-hmm. to them about what dumping syndrome is. They were like, "Well, you vomit." Like that's not vomiting. What I did no. was not vomiting. Um, uh, you know, vomiting up frothy baby oil. That's not vomiting. That's just what you know. What the hell is that? Um, and, and, uh, I don't have the scientific answers, but I can tell them what I went through and, you know, explain. So that was part of the motivation to write this book. And the other thing Kaiser did, which isn't in the book, I don't think not for much anyway. Uh, I, I intend to write a lot more about it, but, uh, is, uh, Kaiser, my wife had the surgery seven months before I did or something like that. And they gave her, she's five, five. Okay, five, five and a half, five, six, whatever. Uh, I don't want her to get angry with me. I'm 6'10". And yeah. they have identical fucking nutrition plans. Cannot, cannot. That's fucking, no, no, no. Stupid. That's fucking stupid. That's like putting uh, just enough fuel for a Prius into a fucking Mack truck and expecting to get to Vegas on that. Like, no one in their right mind would do that. You were severely dehydrated and probably weren't even eating enough calories uh, for months and uh, the heat exhaustion yeah. and all of yeah. that. Yeah. And I, I got to say though, Gatorade zero is still the best. <laughs> you know, it's uh, interesting. I can't drink it anymore. Like my taste buds change so drastically. I can't drink anything but water or, mm. you know, plain black tea. Mm. Uh, or I guess I can drink a few other things, but it's crazy. I can't drink anything with sweeteners in it, artificial or otherwise. I, yeah. I can't tolerate it. It's weird. But I loved it at the time. Oh, my God. It got me through a lot of days. Yeah. And, I, uh, I Do you remember drinking the uh, protein from uh, GNC or whatever, that liquid protein? Oh, yeah. I can't even look at that stuff. I'm going oh, to hurl. It's so, I mean, but you I, need to get yeah. your protein in at first. I mean, I'll, yeah. I don't know if you know, but all my hair fell out almost. I, I have the Weirdly, the same thing happened to me. <laughs> I got mine back uh, probably from eating a lot of fats and gaining nice. some weight back, but I'm happy to have my hair back. It was very traumatizing for someone who I used to bet. have a mane of hair to not have any hair barely and to have a receding hairline, you know, at 45. And I it was bet. hard for a woman. It's different. Yeah. You know, a lot of men lose their hair. Um, so, okay. I, uh, so- yeah. Let's talk about what you have going on next. And then my final question is, because we have about three minutes, is do you consider yourself a poet first, a memoirist first, or both? Um, I'm going to actually... The voice is very different. It is. Yeah, I'm actually going to steal my answer to that question from Neil Gaiman, who is my favorite writer. Um, Or I'm going to paraphrase Neil Gaiman. I just consider myself a writer of stuff. I, I I love poetry. I can't believe I love poetry. I thought poetry was for dudes with poofy shirts writing about trees and shit. And then I took a poetry class and it turns out I was an idiot. I love poetry and I don't know that I'll ever stop writing poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love my memoirs. 
uh, or I love writing nonfiction. I've been writing a lot of like flash nonfiction pieces lately. Um, I would love to write a graphic novel. I would love to write. I have an idea for a screenplay, whether it's a screenplay for a movie or like a 10 part TV series. I've got that idea sitting outlined in a folder somewhere. Um, I would, I, I would love to do all of these things. I shit. I'd write a travel pamphlet for the state of Florida. I don't give a shit. I, I would. There, I, there are a lot of things like maybe not Florida, but I would. Yeah, shoot, yeah. But there are places. Uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, boxes I'd like to tick off. Um, so uh, I guess the answer is yeah, both and I, everything else too. Uh, I read. I just writing is there's just something kind of healing and. Yeah gorgeous and fulfilling about just writing whether it's making shit up or telling a version of the truth uh i just absolutely love it and uh what's going on now is uh what's going on now is i've got this book for sale wild embrace and uh, uh i and at, at volume three and which may be the final volume of my bariatric year will be coming uh out soon Soon, I, my guess is maybe this year. Um, I will. I, I want to say almost definitely this year. And then uh, I, I'm actually for anyone who's local to the area. I ha, I am reading. There's an awesome uh, reading series in Claremont called Fourth Sundays, uh, which in in years past was at the library, but I believe because of the whole COVID situation, it's currently at a local church. And um, I don't remember. I, that's on March 27th, which is a Sunday. Oddly enough, the fourth Sunday in March, and uh, uh, I don't remember the exact time of the reading uh, or, frankly, the address. But uh, that's on Facebook. And, uh, and if, Tim, anyone, if, if you send that to me, I'll put it on my Life of Gem page along with the links to your two books. I will do that, and um, and thank you for that. And uh, yeah, so I would love if people could come out and see me. And otherwise, just a whole lot of teaching and hanging out with crazy dogs and my uh, way too patient wife. Uh, and how, uh, your wife, Annette, right? That's my sister. Yes. Oh yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so where can people find you? Do you have a, a webpage, Facebook, Instagram? What's the best way to reach you or to so, check me out? Uh, I, I, my, okay. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I have no idea why anyone would follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Cause I almost never use them. <laughs> Uh, they're pretty much my Instagram is just the whole point of it is to be a self-curating museum of nerd art. And and that's what I use it for. And then I push out shit about myself, but mostly it's that. Um, but anyway, at Tim Hatch, damn it, on all three of those platforms. But again, Facebook's the one probably you want to look at. And then uh, my website is just uh, it's it's Tim Hatch, but it's Tim dot C.H. And uh, that is where all of my uh, uh, journaling, uh, that's where all my journals, my weekly journals for my bariatric year get published. And uh, uh, I haven't written anything for there in a couple months because I just got to a point where I was like, you know what? Uh, There was a lot of death at the end of last year. So we just decided to, I decided to hibernate is what I decided to do. Yeah. But that's going to, there will be regular stuff coming uh, uh, soon on their webpage. So, okay, yeah. so All everyone right. go to the Life of Gem Facebook page and I will put up his reading in, on the fourth, fourth Sunday in Claremont. I know John, John Brangenheim did that last um, mm. 
and I think it was virtual, but this might be in person March 27th, but I'll put yes. that on the link on my Facebook page. You'll also see the link to his uh, two books, Wild Embrace, and then My Bariatric Year, parts one and two, and part three is coming soon. So go buy Tim's books. They are please, so please, please. Please, Thank please, you so please much. Support this local gem. No pun intended. And um, for everyone, thank you, Tim, for being on. I really appreciate it. This was, I could talk to you forever. Really. I would, yeah, I, I easily could do this another two hours because I'm all about me. No, I'm joking. That's just, uh, <laughs> no, but this has, been, this has been wonderful. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And everyone, check out next month. I'm going to have Greg Rollins on March 16th. He's a district attorney prosecutor turned criminal defense attorney, and he wrote a book about it. So he'll be on next uh, month. Check out my Life of Gem Facebook page for more info on that. But again, go find Tim Hatch, buy all his books, watch him in March on the Claremont Fourth Sundays. We'll see you. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. Where's that at? Bye. Thank you. Mm -hmm.